is the Evangelists Conference podcast. The Evangelists Conference is hosted by J. John, Killy John, and Andy Economides for those called to do the work of the evangelist. To find out more and to book your place for next year, visit evangelistsconference.com. No, honestly, so thankful to be here tonight amongst friends. You know, I am a... I feel like I'm a delegate here. I've always been a delegate. I'm, I'm like just one of everybody in here. I come every year. I've been richly blessed. I've known uh, Canon J. John since 2005. He's introduced me to many people. He advised me many different ways. And uh, you know, when we had that first meeting in, um, in the Culloden Hotel, and, and he gave me the gift, and I was quite emotional and stuff. And then he graciously and lovingly said, by the way, your website's rubbish. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you, got, you, got, you got grammar mistakes on it. Uh, you know, he said, I remember his words. He said, this is your window on the world. Like, you can't make mistakes on this. You got to get it right. There's a sense of professionalism and doing things the right way. And, and we went home, and I remember my, my colleague, Pip, he went straight to the task on the website and got the website tidied up. And, and John has been a... A tremendous mentor over the last, uh, uh, you know, since 2005, introduced me to friends. Sometimes he's had to have those hard conversations with me. Uh, the rest, uh, get that off your, your website or your social media, whatever it might be. But we all need mentors. We all, we all need to listen to advice from people too. Isn't that right? Uh, and, you know, that's what separates some people from others. That you have to be willing to take the hard advice and, and be able to process that. Um, so, you know, I, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Uh, and before I blow it with this preach and never see you smile again, um, <laughs> I, I really appreciate everything you've done for me, for Amanda, for, for Crying Jesus Ministries. I love you very much. Love you very much. Thank you. Thank you. So, so you know, I've been here down through the years. Many of you have. And I'd love to catch up with you. And I kind of look at and go on, wow, we've had some amazing people speaking at the evangelist conference down through the years. And I'm thinking, what am I going to bring? I mean, Sammy Rodriguez, he brought the energy. R.T. Kendall, he brought the wisdom. The two marks bring the humor, but they bring tons of experience. They were brilliant last year. Uh, Christine Kane, she brought passion. Amy R. Ewing brought authority. Matt Summerfield this morning, what did he bring? He brought the fire. Rico Tice brought teaching. Last year, Andy Economides, what did he bring? He brought the anointing. He brought the anointing. Do you remember Andy last year? I mean, he, he probably talked for less than everyone else. But sometimes it's not how long you talk for. It's like, a, it's like something you eat. You know, it was like a la carte Andy, wasn't it? It was just a nice portion and it was how it was dressed up it wasn't like it was something that we hadn't tasted before but it was the anointing it was it was weighed up nice it was five star it was Michelin star it was quality and he created space for the Holy Spirit to move afterwards and so many of us received a touch from the Lord and we prayed for friends and family and and people wept afterwards so Andy thank you for what you poured into us uh, last year. Jackie Poulinger's, she brought something of her own cultural nuances. Phil Cook brought something on media. Dr. Dave Smith taught us in the life of George Whitfield. What am I going to bring? What's an Irish guy, a Northern Irish guy going to bring? Well, we bring a fight. <laughs> huh? We bring a fight. I mean, it's, it's either Barry McGuigan or it's Katie Taylor or it's Conor McGregor or it's Liam McCourt or it's our politicians. We fight. And, and tonight, I want to bring a fight. I want to bring a fight. I want to bring a different kind of a fight. Not like our politicians fight. You know, in Northern Ireland, it doesn't matter what Downing Street say, we're going to do the opposite. COVID was very funny. You know, when Downing Street eventually announced and said, it's time to wear masks, we went, we're not wearing masks. You took our masks away. I'll let you think about that for a bit. That's not a mask. That's a mask. And then, you know, some months down the line, then Downing Street say, 
well, you can take your masks off and you can go out and eat. We said, we're not going out. I've just bought new pajamas. I've got my camera. I've got my circle LED light. I'm an international evangelist from, from my shed, my wife and I and the dog. You know, we're on YouTube reaching billions of people. We're not, we're not going out. You know, Northern Ireland's a little bit like that. If you've never been, you're very welcome. But we always fight about something. But tonight we want to bring a different kind of fight. I want to fight for the evangelist. You know, we live in a, in a culture today which is really interesting where the evangelist fits. Even inside evangelism, the evangelist is struggling to find his place. So I want to fight for every evangelist in this room. I want to fight for the gift of the evangelist in the church. And I want to put some fight in you. Never give up. Never give up. Never ever give up. Don't quit on your family. Don't quit on your calling. Don't quit on your church. I want us to develop for 2024 the spirit of a winner, the spirit of an overcomer, the kind of evangelist that's not going to quit, the kind of evangelist that's going to rise up and stand firm and fight for biblical truth and fight for Jesus. And we fight on our knees, but sometimes we've got to stand and fight too. We fight for the gospel because that's what the evangelist does. The evangelist brings the euangelion. The evangelist brings the good news. He heralds out, he rings out the good news because it tells us in the Bible, Paul said this in Romans chapter one, verse 16. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ because it is the what? It's the, help me out, it's the power of God. In Northern Ireland, we say par, you know, like par shar. You know, <laughs> it's the power of God unto salvation. There is no predicament, no situation, no circumstance that a man can find himself in that Jesus Christ is not the answer. Come on, and we live in a broken world. We've always lived in a broken world, but perhaps now more than ever before, where the church doesn't know what to do with the evangelist, it's a time for the evangelist to stand and fight. Stand and fight for ourselves. Stand and fight for the gift. Because no matter what culture says, we don't bow to what culture says, and we don't bow to what science says. Culture and science are the handmaids to who we are, but we stand in our theology, and our theology says the gift of the evangelist is very important for the church, and it's very important not only for the church, but for our society. Can you, hear, can you say an amen? Yeah. Uh, 2024, the book of Acts. Chapter 20, verse 24. If you're making notes tonight, book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 24. I want to give you your assignment for 2024. I'm reading from a New Living Translation. Acts, chapter 20, verse 24. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it to finish the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus Christ. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's your assignment for 2024. Acts 20, 24. The work. Everybody say work. work. The work of telling others the good news of the wonderful grace of God. 2024 is a year to work, not a year to be lazy. It's not a, a year to sit back. It's a year to step up. There's a time to rest. There'll be times to rest this year, but there'll be times you need to step up and you need to work because that's your assignment. There is a work in telling others do the work of an evangelist in 2024. Uh, Pastor Mark yesterday morning brought an excellent word and a challenging word, and he warned us that in 2024, we might get a little bit of pushback. I think he's right. I'm all right with that. Because he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. I have an armor. You have an armor. 
Ephesians chapter 6, this is what it says. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against angels and principalities and powers, against rulers in the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God so you may be able to stand in the evil day. You know, the devil wants to give me a little bit of push this year. That's okay. I'm Irish. Bring it on. But not because I'm Irish, but because I have Christ in me and I have the armor of God on. I'm going to keep my helmet of salvation on in 2024. I'm going to keep my breastplate of righteousness in the right place and do the right thing. I'm going to wear the belt of truth. I'm going to lift up the shield of faith that connects me to God. I'm going to walk ready with the things of the gospel and the sword of the Spirit. And I'm not going to let no devil push me back because I'm pressing on the things of God. Amen. This is a year we're going to fight. We're not going to fight with each other. We're not going to fight with the church. But we're going to fight for the kingdom of God to be established in our communities. Come on. Are you with me? It's a year to stand. Be ready for a fight. You know, in uh, 1996, the former bishop of Maidstone, Gavin Reed, set out a very bold paper. It was called The Decay of the evangelists. Now, this is 1996. This is what he had to say, summary of some of his key points in this paper. He said, uh, the evangelicals are not nearly so favorable towards the ministry of the evangelist as they used to be. It seems that the role models of the movement of evangelists are hard to identify. He went on and said, are evangelists needed in the church, which is virtually united under the process of modern conversions through discussion? What then is the future for the evangelist? He asks, is it now a defunct ministry? Evangelicalism can no longer be called an evangelist-friendly culture. The gift ministries, including the role of the evangelist, are much misunderstood. Hard to believe that was written 28 years ago because it really resonates with us today, doesn't it? You know, it's amazing that the evangelical church in the 200 years where we had the evangelical church, it was, it was evangelists, it was the Whitfields who, who, who pioneered that. It was evangelists that pioneered it and now it seems like a place where, where we find we struggle to find our voice. We find a place where our gift is honored, a place where our gift is accepted. And we have to be very careful as fellow evangelists in here that we don't become angry with the church because we've always got to love the church. We have to love the church. The Bible says in Ephesians, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And if we're going to be imitators of Christ, then what must we do? We must love the church. And just as Christ gave himself for the church, we should give ourselves for the church. And we're never going to establish ourselves as a gift to the church if we're critical of the church. Uh, Bishop Gavin Reed finishes and says, the evangelist, important point, the evangelist is a gift ministry clearly identified in the New Testament. And therefore, it is not for us to decide that such people are no longer needed. No matter what culture says, the evangelist is needed. It's needed in the church. It's needed in the community. But we need to fight for it and fight for it in the right way. Not fight with the church, not fight with the pastor. The problem is for many evangelists today is that we've become overcritical of the church. I think we need to learn to fall in love with the church. We need to honor the pastor, honor the work of a pastor. You know, a pastor works incredibly hard. We don't appreciate some of the things that he has to do day and night, hospital visitations, working with challenging people, managing accounts. There's a vast array of work for the pastor. And the last thing he needs is the evangelist to come along and say, well, your church is, is dated. Your church isn't working. Your church doesn't look friendly for the community. He's given his life to this. And all we do is like pick holes in it. I think the better thing we need to do is come alongside the pastor and say, 
You're doing an amazing job in here. I would love to serve you. I think we together could do something really exciting. I, I wanna elevate you. I wanna honor your place. I wanna set you up for success. Do you think we could work together on something? Yeah, you're a pastor in here. I see the, come on. I see pastors in here. You're nodding with me. You get that. It's very important that when we fight, we fight our battles well. But evangelicalism without the evangelist is like a football match without the center forwards. The church needs us, but we need to be gracious and loving in how we connect them with the church. The late William Abraham, in his genius of a book, The Logic of Evangelism, writes that evangelism has been disconnected intellectually and institutionally from the life of the church with disastrous results all around. Evangelism has been reduced to forms of social action amongst the liberals, the manipulative schemes, to conversion amongst the conservatives. Gosh, I think sometimes we have to do a little bit of critical self-reflection as, as evangelists in here and say, are we doing a good job? Are we modeling this well? Are, are, we, are we handling the role and the gift and the calling of an evangelist well? Because if you're gonna fight, for the role and the gift of an evangelist in 2024, you need to know what that gift is. You need to know what that role is. Not only has evangelism been diluted into more palatable terms like mission, but also evangelism has been relegated to the position of apologetics. Now, I'm a big fan of apologetics but let's remember that apologetics is a method of evangelism. It's not the thing in itself. But it seems to me even in the, the modern day that apologetics has been dressed in fine linen by many and evangelism has been turned to bedlam. If Leonard Ravenhill's words were powerful and true on prayer, perhaps the same could be said on evangelism. Let me rework his famous quote in his book, Why Revival Tarries. He said, prayer is the Cinderella of the church. Maybe evangelism is the Cinderella of the church today. The handmaid of the Lord is unloved and unwooed because she's not dripping with the pearls of intellectualism nor glamorous with the silks of philosophy. Neither is she enchanting with the tiara of psychology. But I believe this is the year where we need to stand up and fight back. And we need to fight for the evangelist, but we need to do it with humility. Everybody say humility. humility. Holiness. Holiness. You know, a number of years ago, Karen J. John told me a story, and maybe some of you have heard it before, of, of an evangelist, a little bit like me, had contacted him and said, hey, I'm an evangelist, can I meet you? And I hope this person's not in the room. And they came and visited him in the office. And, and J. John graciously give him one hour of his time and, and the story kind of goes, the guy spoke for like 55 minutes and he talked all about himself, I'm doing this and number of souls saved and me, 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 I, me, me, look how big my ministry is, I'm amazing. And then at the end he said, to J. John, so have you any advice? And J. John got a little post-it note out and he wrote two words in the post-it note. Holiness, humility. And he pushed it across the table and he said, work on that. I think he could push that little post-it note to every one of us in here tonight. Work on that. Holiness, humility. If you're gonna do the work of the evangelist, you need to get rid of the big ego. Evangelism, I'm fascinated. Mark Greenwood and I have conversations about this where you know, people who ramp the ministry up by the number of people who have been saved. They've got like big soul counting computers and this number of people got saved and this number of people have got saved and build their success on the number of people that get saved. And the fascinating thing is like, who is it that does the saving? It's Jesus that does the saving, right? So why should I measure my success on the basis of what, what Jesus does? That's ego. Someone once said to me, ego, E-G-O, edging God out. Ooh. Ooh. You know, when we be so obsessed with the me and the I and how big my ministry is, uh, Crown Jesus ministry, sometimes we celebrate the numbers. We're not shy to do that, but we don't, we don't puff our ministry up. We're not, a, we're not obsessed with numbers. 
We can tell you numbers for certain events, but we're not getting radical about, you know, events and numbers per se, because, because that's what Christ does. You see, as an evangelist, if you're making notes, write this down. It's our job to tell the truth. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. And it's their job to make a decision. It's our job to tell the truth. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. And it's their job to make a decision. So as an evangelist, there's no place for ego. Holiness, humility. You know, there's big puffed up egos the size of buses. It's time to burn them. No, you may be sitting listening going, no, Mitch, we burn bridges. We don't burn buses. I'm from Belfast. We burn buses, right? (laughs) I want to fight for every evangelist in the room. I want you to get your fight back. I want the Holy Spirit to help you put some fight into you. We're going to look tonight at one of the greatest evangelists that ever lived. He's known as Philip the Evangelist. He's from Caesarea. And we're going to look at him tonight and learn some stuff from the life of Philip. Uh, By way of introduction to that, I want us to look at it with four points. We have a jeweler shop in Belfast. It's called Lunds. Uh, Lunds is if it's a posh jewelry shop. You know, Amanda and I go and look in the windows, uh, but you couldn't really afford like it's. It's all like you know, fancy watches and, and stuff. I, 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 it's got Rolex watches. I've got a Rolex watch, but mine's not from Lunds. Mine's from uh, from a beach on the Canary Islands. So. <laughs> It's a, it, it's a genuine copy. <laughs> it, it's, it's, a, it's a genuine Rolex, genuine copy. Um, but they're known for the, for the diamonds and lunds. It's, it, it's our equivalent to Tiffany's. But, but, if, but if breakfast is at Tiffany's, we have an ulcer fry at lunds. A bit, <laughs> bit different. But, but in our lunds, they have like beautiful diamonds. And diamonds are... are are known by four things, aren't they? About the, the carrot you know, and their clarity. The carrot, I'm trying to find out the little points here. I've lost them here. My, my, my notes jumped on me for some reason. Did the, help anybody know what they're known for? The diamond? The cut, the color, the clarity, and the carrot. And they did a presentation at Christmas lunch. And they said it was brilliant, a big billboard, and it just said this, Christmas rocks. <laughs> that was good. And they had like a big 3D diamond, Christmas rocks. It kind of got me thinking, evangelism rocks. The evangelist is a rock in evangelism. We're the anchor that kind of leads the church and encourages the church and equips the church in evangelism. So I want to take you to a jeweler's shop tonight. I want to cover four points of the evangelist looking at the life of Philip. If you have your Bible with you, my main text is Acts chapter 21, and we're going to read verses 8 and 9. It's one of three verses in the Bible where the word evangelist is used. Acts chapter 21, verses 8 and 9. Leaving the next day, we, that's, that's Luke and Paul. Leaving the next day, we, Luke and Paul, reached Caesarea. And we stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist. One of the seven who had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Brief word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth. We pray, Father God, that tonight that you would speak to us through your word, that you give us revelation. You'd help us to stand and fight for the gift of the evangelist in us. You'd help us to stand and fight for the gift of the evangelist in our brother and sister to our left and our right. But Lord, we need you. We need you to speak to us tonight. But we need you to do more than speak to us, Lord. 
Yeah, we had a powerful message this morning, fired up, ready to go. Father God, put your fire in us. Put your fire in us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Philip the evangelist, before we turn our attention to Philip the evangelist, as I said, the, the word evangelist is mentioned three times, just three times in the New Testament. Those of you that are scholarly in the, in the Bible will know that, but I know because I am an evangelist that you can be 10 or 15 years as an evangelist and go, oh, I didn't know that. Only three times. It's used once by Luke in Acts chapter 21, verse 8, our, our passage for tonight. And it's also used in two occasions by Paul. It's used by Paul in 2 Timothy in chapter 4, where he's speaking to young Timothy, who is a pastor, who's given the instructions of a pastor. And then he finishes off and he says to him, do the work of an evangelist. Now, J. John has already referenced this yesterday morning when he's saying to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. He's not saying to Timothy, it's time, to, don't listen to what I said in the first letter or the first half of the second letter, and now I turn your attention to being an evangelist. He's not saying that. He's saying, you're a pastor, but do your work as if you are an evangelist. Dispense all your duties as a pastor, as if you are an evangelist. In other words, Timothy, when you go to visit the sick and you pray for the sick, well, ask the question too. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? When you finish your sermon, make sure you make that challenge. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Dispense all of the ministry as if you were an evangelist. He's not asking him to change. You know, when I was a firefighter for 16 years, what did I do? Well, I guess it's in the name. I was a firefighter. But you do an awful lot more than that. Sometimes I have to be a little bit of a mechanic when it's a fire that's in a car. Sometimes I have to be a little bit of an electrician to turn the power off in a house. Sometimes the officer would have said to me at the end of a fire, get the toolbox and get some wood and board that window up. And at that point, he's not saying to me, you're no longer an av a firefighter. I want you to be a carpenter. He's saying, you're still a firefighter, but in this moment, I need you to be a carpenter. Does that make sense? And so that's what Paul is saying to Timothy here. And then in another passage in Ephesians chapter 4, and the Pentecostals talk about it being a five-fold ministry. But in this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, this is what it says. Now, there are different gifts Christ gives to the church. Everybody say the word gifts. It's very important for us to understand this. There are different gifts that Christ gives to the church. There is the apostle. There is the prophet. There is the evangelist. There is the pastor and teacher. And depending on, you know, debate on lexical semantics, you could argue perhaps a fourfold and say pastor slash teacher is all the same. But that's irrelevant to the point that we're making tonight. The point we're making tonight is this, that the evangelist is what? He's a gift. And Paul goes on here and he says this, these five gifts or four gifts have a responsibility. Verse 12, they have a responsibility to equip God's people to do his work, to build up the church, the body of Christ. Uh, I, what does that tell us of the work of an evangelist in that summary? It's saying this, that first of all, we're a gift. To be an evangelist doesn't mean you just get like the sign on the door and you get a title. I've been given the title. I went through a course. I did, you know, a, 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 a project over a week and now I'm a qualified evangelist. No, it doesn't make you an evangelist. What makes you an evangelist is when, when Jesus dispenses something inside you, puts the Holy Spirit inside you and he distributes his gift in you and the gift is stirred up through you and that gift is exercised and that's the gift of the evangelist and you're a gift to the church you're a gift to the church the second thing is that our role is to equip God's people to do his work so the evangelist in the church, and it was lovely to hear some of the, the comments today at, at the marketplace, there was one lady up and, and she told the story of, of J. John's book at Christmas. And uh, she's put that booklet at the back of the church and she said, yeah, I want you to take those booklets and use those to invite your friends and family and have conversations about Jesus. And at the end of the service, she went to the back and they were all gone. She got her congregation to do the work of an evangelist. Where is that lady? Is she here? And I bless you. Like that's, that's it. That's what we do. We, we encourage the church and we build up. The third thing is we build up the body of Christ. How do we build up the church as an evangelist? We tell them the stories. 
because the stories build the people up. Let me tell you a story of what happened this week on the street. You can do this. If I can do it, you can do it. We tell the stories. We celebrate the stories of what God is doing. We all love stories. You know, our last youth event that we did in Belfast in a grammar school, we were going and do like, you know, 30 classes during the week. We do drama classes, music classes, RE classes, physical education classes. We're building relationship with the students. And then on the Friday night, we did the outreach event. And it's optional because it's outside of school time. Am I speaking too fast? Are you still with me? So it's like 300 kids all came to it. And at the end, I, I give an invitation. If you'd like to make Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior, 56 people filled in decision slips came forward. A teacher came forward. A teacher. Like, I thought she was coming forward like just like to keep an eye on the kids. But she wasn't. 56 decision slips filled in on a Friday night. Now, on the Monday, we started the discipleship program. How many do you think came to the discipleship program out of the 56? 152. <laughs> Figure that out. How does that work? I'll tell you how it works. Because it's a little bit like the woman in Samaria that goes back to her village and said, come see a man. Yeah. They were going back to their class. And of course, there were some Christians already in the school. But they were also saying, come. Okay, you didn't make a decision, but everybody's welcome. Those are the stories that get a clap because what do they do? They build us up. Isn't that right? And the evangelist does that. We're a gift to the church. We're there to build the church up. We can't do that unless we love the church. We must fall in love with the family of God. Yeah. Philip, the evangelist, the story starts in Acts chapter six. This is what it says of Philip. He's one of the seven and he's chosen because he's a man of good reputation. your reputation like? A good reputation is filled with the Spirit and wisdom. And he's assigned in the daily distribution of food, the care for the poor. And then we pick up a story in Acts chapter 8. And after Stephen is put to death, Philip is one of the disciples who is scattered and he finds himself in Samaria. Now in these places, He's a witness. And if you read in Acts chapter 8, this is the story you read in verse 4. He preaches the Word. He preaches the Word. He preaches Christ to them. He performs miracles. He backs up the Word of God. Delivers people from demonic oppression. He heals the sick. He brings great joy to the city. He baptizes new converts. That's good points, isn't it? And then... An angel leads him to Gaza, their desert place. And in the desert place, he has a one-to-one conversation. Now he's, he, he's, he's done the food bank. He's preached to the crowds and seen the sides and wonders. Now he's in the chariot with a very noble person, a white-collar person, Porsche person. And he's having a one-to-one conversation with the Scriptures open. It says in there he preached Christ to the man preached in a one-to-one, declared the heralds of God. And the Ethiopian eunuch converts and he baptizes him. And then here we find in this passage that we're reading tonight, this is some 20 years later, 20 years later, and he's settled in Caesarea by the sea and he has four daughters that prophesy. It doesn't say in the passage, this is Philip, who used to be an evangelist. He's still an evangelist. He's just doing it a little bit different. He's doing it a little bit different than he did it in Jerusalem, a little bit different than what he did in Samaria, a little bit different than he did it in Gaza. But he's still an evangelist. And so when we turn the four corners of the diamond of an evangelist, the first one we want to look at is the calling of an evangelist. And the calling of the evangelist is all that we've just read out. The calling of the evangelist is to preach Christ in that 
passage in Acts chapter 8, it says of Philip, he preached Christ. It says he preached the gospel. It says he preached the kingdom. That's the work of an evangelist. It says that the evangelist in that passage loves people and addresses the crowds and addresses the individuals. The work of the evangelist, no one has left out. Yeah, the work of the evangelist in the food bank is amazing what it talks about, the calling of an evangelist. Set apart for me, men of good reputation, full of wisdom and the spirit to do this work of looking after the widows who have been left out. That's the kind of work that an evangelist does. Are you involved in a food bank here? Do the work of an evangelist in there. If you're involved in preaching to the multitudes or the one-on-one in the coffee shop. Or maybe you find yourself settled somewhere. You might be in a church 20 years. When Philip arrived in Caesarea, we don't know of any of his exploits of itinerant ministry. Doesn't say. We don't want to read too much into the text of what it doesn't say. But we can allude to the fact it seems like he's settled here. He's got four goods. He's got a family. But he's not redundant. He's still an evangelist. And there's a message in here when we look at this calling of an evangelist to say this, that God hasn't finished with you yet. 20 years since you did all the big things doesn't mean you're not an evangelist anymore. You're just doing it different. If you're sitting in the circles, you're going, oh, I remember the day. You're way back in the day. You know, we used to see signs and wonders and people were falling on the floor and all these things were happening back in the day. Maybe God's just using you in a different way today. But that's okay. The most important thing is that when you're in your calling, that you stay true to your calling. You stay tight to your divine assignment that God has given you. And here is the calling of the evangelist. And then if we turn that diamond, so the first C is the calling. If we turn it, then the next C we see is in the evangelist. We have a consistency. A consistency. Didn't matter what he was doing. He was always available. There's a consistency that an evangelist needs. I, I see sometimes evangelists and they're up and down. Yeah. And consistency builds strength into your ministry. It, it builds something robust. I mean, one of the strengths of Crown Jesus Ministries is we're doing this 25 years. Yeah. And we're still at it. Yeah. Some people, when we started out, thought, oh, you know, when you grow up, you'll become a pastor. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you, get, when you get a little bit more settled on, you become a pastor. It doesn't say here that, that Philip, who used to be an evangelist and now a pastor, he, he's still an evangelist because he showed some consistency in his ministry. Can I encourage you tonight to show consistency in your ministry? Be consistent. Here's the third thing that we look at when we see the story of, of Philip is that we see that the character of the evangelist. Set aside for me people of good rapport, of good character, filled with wisdom and the Spirit. I love that, wisdom and the Spirit. But sometimes in Pentecostals, we're all Spirit, not much wisdom. It it, it feels to me like he's like a proper Pentecostal, but he still kept his brain in. You know, he he still kept his brain in. He's full of good rapport, filled with the Spirit, full of wisdom, and he's set aside for the things of God because he's of noble character. He's got some integrity. Everybody say integrity. integrity. He's got some integrity about him. You know, if you really want to know the Holy Spirit, work in your life, integrity. Jesus walked for 30 years in integrity before he started a supernatural ministry. 30 years of integrity. And then he come up out of that the waters, the Spirit descended on him and he moved into a supernatural ministry. If you want a supernatural ministry, it starts with integrity. It starts with you being able to find yourself in a place where you honour, you do the right thing. What does it tell us in this verse about this guy? He's got friends that want to come and stay with him. I wonder if you've got some friends and if they're in your neighbourhood, they want to come and stay with you. Would they even lift the phone to say they're in the neighbourhood? I'm very thankful of good friends like, like Mark Greenwood. You know, if I was anywhere in England inside 30 miles of Mark's house, I dropped my little message. We had a curry in November. He stayed and 
my house before, I've stayed in his house before because he's a guy of character, of noble character, not a gossiper. It's not like I'm gonna go to Mark's house, he's gonna lay all his burdens on me and he's gonna be talking about this person and talking about that person. And there's a, there's a magnanimity about people who've got good character, people of principle. It seems to me, Philip was like that. These two guys are saying, hey, if, if we're going to Caesarea, let's hang out with him. He's a good guy. I wonder if you're like that, if you've got that kind of character. And even, if you think about it, like staying in the house of, with somebody who's got four kids. He's got four daughters. I said to Amanda, why would he, they want to go and stay in a house with a guy has four daughters? Amanda said, maybe they're chasing the two four daughters. You know? <laughs> I thought, oh, maybe that's not so scholarly in the passage. But, but, but why would they stay? I think they stay because he's a good, solid guy. Are you known as a person of good character? Solid, stable. You know, people would say about, but you would say, well, you know what, they, They've had their highs, they've had their lows, but they're, they're faithful to the things of God. They've had some tough times. Maybe you're here tonight. Maybe you're going through some stuff at the minute. Maybe it's a family breakdown. You're worried about what people are going to say about you. Listen, you keep close to Jesus. Keep your character in Jesus. Keep faithful to Him. It's a, it's a precious side to the diamond of an evangelist. An evangelist needs to know his calling. An evangelist needs to be consistent. An evangelist needs to be a man or a woman of character. And the last one is, an evangelist needs to be someone who's consecrated, set apart for the things of God. You need to know what you're called to do. You need to know what to say yes to and what to say no to. You stay in your divine assignment. You don't get caught up in other people's business. You don't get caught up in doing 101 other things around the church. Stay on your assignment. If you wanna stay strong, if you wanna stay on fire, if you don't wanna burn out, you need to stay on your divine assignment. And if you're an evangelist in here tonight and you say, well, I know I'm called to declare the good news, but I'm not sure what my, my assignment is for 2024 in that. Well, here's what I would say. Wait. Wait. Discipline yourself to wait. Doesn't matter what qualifications you have. Doesn't matter what you've done in the past. You need to get a divine assignment. You need to have the Spirit of the Lord touching you and consecrating you and setting you apart. And rather than you getting plans and then praying like mad that God will bless your plans, just wait and get God's plans because they're already blessed. They're already blessed. Just wait on what He calls you to do and then walk ye in it. Look neither to the left nor to the right. Stay in your divine assignment. Stay, stay in your lane. Celebrate what other evangelists are doing, but stay in your lane. It doesn't matter how qualified you are. You need to be consecrated, filled with the Spirit, and set apart for the task. You know, there's a big difference in an evangelist that's filled with the Spirit and an evangelist that's not. You can spot it a mile off. An evangelist needs to go to the garden tomb, but he also needs to go to the upper room. He needs to, he needs to go to the garden tomb and encounter the risen Christ. That's what it's all about. Salvation there and then Jesus Christ the Son of God who died for me, risen again, holding the keys of death and hell. Behold, I am alive forevermore. You need to encounter Christ in the garden tomb, but you need to encounter the Holy Spirit in the upper room. Think about it. Think about it. The, the disciples, right? Three years. Three years hanging out with Jesus. Three years hearing his teaching, seeing the miracles. Three years of actually the miracles working through you. He sent them out on mission trips. They seen people healed. They seen demons coming out of people. The feeding of the 5,000, Jesus didn't feed the 5,000. The disciples fed the 5,000. Jesus broke the bread, gave it to the disciples. Can you imagine standing there? with a crumb in your hand and 5,000 people in front of you. I mean, you must have been going like, you're having a laugh, right? And then 
one person comes up and takes it. And another person takes it. And it's like, it's bubbling in your hand. These disciples had three years of this stuff. Were they qualified? No. Jesus said, no. You're still not qualified. You know what I said. You've seen what I do, but you're still not qualified. You need to tarry. Everybody say tarry. You need to tarry and wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And they waited. And when you wait for the Holy Spirit to come, to concentrate, consecrate, to set your part for the things of God, you'll be a different man. You'll be a different woman. Understand your calling as an evangelist. Fight for your calling. Understand that you must be consistent in your calling. Fight for consistency. Understand what you need to have in terms of not just your calling and your consistency, but your character. And fight for your consecration to be set apart for the things of God. Wrestle with your flesh. Put to death the old man. It doesn't mean kill your dad, by the way. <laughs> put, put to death the old man. Say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm done with that. I'm going to set myself apart for a different thing. Consecrated, set apart for the work of an evangelist. A few months ago, some of us as associates had the honor and privilege of spending time with uh, Zach Mirkreebs. And uh, many of you won't know that name because that's the kind of guy he is. But many of you will know of the Asprey Revival 11 months ago. Hands up if you've heard of Asprey Revival. Yeah. 11 months ago, university campus, Wednesday morning. Zach is one of the chaplains. He's also in charge of the soccer team in the campus. But he was one of the chaplains and he was doing an address that morning. That's a big University. It's a Christian university, so they had 2,000 at the morning devotion. That's a pretty good start, isn't it? 2,000 at the morning devotion. And he spoke on consecration. And he, uh, he said afterwards, you know, I want to create some space and give you permission to linger. I love that. Permission to linger in the presence of God, just to kind of consecrate yourself. And he said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go and stand at the side. And if, if you'd like to receive prayer ministry, I'll be available at the side. 2,000 people. How many came forward? 19. One nine. That, that looks like an, an equivalent, probably three people in here. Just decided to linger. Do you know how many of them went and received prayer from Zach? Nobody. Zach just stood at the side. 19, by lunchtime, a couple of hundred. By tea time, it was 400. And he contacted the, the president or whatever of the college and said, I think God's maybe doing something. He said, let it go, let it go. They had a meeting that night. He said, should we close the meeting? Let it go. We've been praying. Let's see what God is doing. You never heard of Zach. Most people didn't because... It wasn't the Zach Mirkreeb show. It was just what God was doing. And if you turned up with that revival and you were like a big worship leader or whatever, do you know what they used to say? This is for the students, but we have a room over here. You're very welcome to go and sit in that room. But we're, we're, not, we're not doing that. And, and I asked Zach, what, what were the keys to, to that revival in Asprey? And he talked about three C's. And one of them was this consecration. The other one he talked about was you got to contend. Everybody say contend. In other words, you got to fight for it. you got to contend for revival. you got to contend for it. you got to consecrate yourself. And then the third point, he said is, you got to crush your ego. you got to crush your ego. If you want the Holy Spirit to move in your life. We've got to contend for it. We need to consecrate ourselves. Crush our ego. Are we walking in our calling? Or, or are we distracted with 
many things. You know, in the last couple of years, there's been a book that's been popular called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I don't think hurry is our biggest problem. I think we need to ruthlessly eliminate distraction. Maybe you're being distracted from your calling. If you really, really want to know the Holy Spirit move in your life, stay in your lane, stay in your calling. Reflect on your consistency. What makes you an evangelist? See, I'm not an evangelist because of what I do. I'm an evangelist because what's in me. I'm an evangelist in the house. I'm an evangelist when I'm with my brothers. I'm an evangelist when I'm out walking in the hills on my own. I'm not just an evangelist when I turn up at a meeting. I'm consistently an evangelist because the call of God is on my life to do that. It's a consistency. A calling, a consistency. Reflect on your character. What kind of person are you? We need to crush your ego. Can I, can I say, uh, and be vulnerable to in this moment, that if, if I've ever said anything or I've ever blanked you or you went to start a conversation with me in the Avantis conference and maybe my hearing's not good, I didn't hear you, or you felt like I was ignoring you or you felt that other evangelists in here have, have like put you down because your ministry is not as big as somebody else's. Maybe you're here for the first time, you think they haven't been the friendliest people. I'm really, really sorry. I'm really sorry if that has been your experience. I'm really sorry if I have said or done anything. I don't want to be known for that kind of character. I, I don't want that. Call, me, call it out of me. If you ever, people, you're my friends. I love you all. Call it out. If you see something on social media, if you see something and you go, Mitch, that's not a good character, call it out of me because I want the very best for the evangelist. I want the very best for the kingdom of God, for our churches and for society. We need to concentrate ourselves. Consecrate ourselves. Set ourselves apart. The four turns of the Evangelist Diamond. You've been listening to the Evangelists Conference podcast. Visit evangelistsconference.com to find out more.